Well, hello, church. Uh, my name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. So glad to be worshiping with you today as we've come to the final day of our summer series, Summer Cookout. And you know if the summer series is wrapping up, that must mean that the fall is upon us, and it is. You heard that crazy long list of announcements. We've got so much going on this fall. Uh, one thing I want to say uh, for that mission trip, the Riverwood mission trip, there also is an info session right after this service. So if you want to hear about how you can help with that, it's October 17th through 19th. Just on your way out, stop by uh, the library or on your way to Sunday school, swing by the library, and you can get information about that trip. Also, um, you heard a lot about stuff for middle school and high school students. I want to make sure for elementary school students, if you are an elementary school student or the parent of one or you know one in your neighborhood, you want to know about Kid Venture. It's our brand new Wednesday night program launching this fall. It's completely different from anything we've ever done before or ever seen done before. We're so excited about it. We're going to go camping and build catapults and roller coasters and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be amazing, and that starts in September. So you can stop by the Children's Ministry desk to get information about that or register online. Kidventure is what it's called, and it's going to be uh, fantastic. Also, somebody stopped me and asked me about The Gathering, which is coming up uh, on August 24th. Uh, they said, I've been to one before. Do I need to come back? Yes, they're different every time. It's not the same event. It's a different event, just with the same name every time. It's a way for everyone who serves or leads in any capacity on any team to be together, get a little vision, get a little training, and get excited about the fall. So that's August 24th. We'll serve your breakfast. And if you maybe you're not serving now, but you want to be serving, the gathering would be a great place to come. We've got training sessions for people that are just getting started in all of our ministry areas. Uh, so whether it's parking or greeting or welcome or Sunday school or worship or wherever you serve, we want you to be at the gathering. That's August 24th. All right. Well, let's wrap up the summer cookout. All summer long, we've been looking at Bible verses that have some connection to food. That's the only thing it needed to make it into this series. But these last two weeks, uh, we said we would be focusing on one meal in particular the meal of communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, which we share in every week at the center of our worship. We said, if we're going to do it that often, we ought to try to understand what it means. And last week, in order to see that the communion meal is a remembrance meal that helps us remember that we are a saved people, we had to start all the way back in ancient in Egypt. And this week, We've got to start all the way forward in heaven itself. Last week, uh, we observed that communion is a meal that each week points backward to the reality of our salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. And this week, we're going to discover that communion is also a meal that points forward. It points forward to the consequences of that salvation, to the destination for which we have been saved, to the freedom and the future that caused God to save us and redeem us and rescue us in the very beginning. You see, communion helps us to remember not only that we have hope, communion helps us remember the nature of that hope. It helps remember not just that we have hope, but the hope that we have. And what is it that we are hoping for? And this is important to have clarity on what it is we hope 
for because I think some of us can, if we're not careful, lose a sense of excitement about the hope that God has prepared for us. Now, those of you that are super excited about what God intends to do with our eternal future, you may find this hard to believe, but some of us sometimes aren't all that excited about God's future eternal hope. Heaven, uh, for me, for uh, most of my Christian life, I mean, it was out there and it was nice, I suppose, but it didn't exactly capture my imagination, and I certainly wasn't in any hurry to get there. I mean, it was better than the alternative, don't get me wrong, but, but I felt no joy about the hope for which Christ had died. I think this is because if you had asked me to describe the eternal hope that we all have, I would have started with harps. I was pretty sure that when you died, everybody got a harp. And, and maybe something about wings, I wasn't sure if everybody got wings or wings were optional, but wings, and I knew clouds were involved. Lots and lots of clouds were involved. And a lot of floating, probably golden streets, which was supposed to impress me but never did, and giant scary gates that I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be excited about these gates or not. Um, but this was my view of the eternal hope that we have. And, and it just didn't seem all that great to me. I mean, it was all right, whatever. I mean, harps, you know, I'm not anti-harp. I just wasn't that into harps either. And the thought of eternally having to be in a giant harp band, do you even call it, is that, is that called a band? I don't even know what you call a bunch of harp players. But that just wasn't just a big appeal to me, you know. And, and one day as I was reflecting, it occurred to me that in all my Bible reading, I'd never actually read the verse where it tells you that you get a harp when you die. And I'd, I'd never seen the passage where it talks about all the clouds and the wings and the, and the floating around. I, I'd just never read those texts. And I began to wonder if it was possible, and now this seems hard to believe, but I wondered if it was possible that my picture of the eternal life that God had prepared for us was more influenced by Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry than it was by the Bible. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? With, you know, Bugs Bunny gets shot by Elmer Fudd. Have you ever thought about how violent the cartoons we grew up on were? But anyways, Bugs Bunny gets shot by Elmer Fudd, and his little spirit floats up, and as he floats by, somebody hands him a harp, and somebody sticks on wings, and he kind of gets up to cloud land, and eventually he figures out some way to get back down to the real and exciting life that he was having being chased by Elmer Fudd, because up there in cloud land, it was just sort of, just sort of boring, you know. And, and somehow that idea had just gotten in my head. I mean, listen, I just be clear, I was glad I was saved, you know. It's not like, you know, but, but I just wasn't excited about the, the end result that I'd been saved for. I, I remember in my skepticism, I began to kind of ask this question. Like, is it really possible that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead, forgave me of my sins just so I could float on clouds for the rest of my life? Or, or sing in a choir the same song for all eternally? Like, was this the hope for which Christ had given his life? Just some sort of eternal waiting room in some sort of Christian office with piped-in, synthesized hymns over the loudspeaker. And we're all supposed to be really thrilled about how comfortable the chairs are 
in this eternal heavenly waiting room. I began to wonder, is this what the Bible describes? I mean, you've already figured out the punchline. I mean, the answer is no. Um, This is not the eternal future that God's Word describes. Uh, And thankfully, God's Word does take some time to try to describe a picture. I mean, not in, you know, we obviously, in, in our earthly brains, we can never fully understand what the eternal future that God has planned for us is like, but the Bible does work hard to give us some pictures. I, Isaiah tries a couple times. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1 through 4. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You've made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. This doesn't sound very good so far. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat. We won't need the cities we built anymore because God himself will be our refuge. Skipping a little later in that chapter, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, of the best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers the nations. A shroud is the word for the cloth you put over a dead body. Isaiah says that shroud will be destroyed. It won't be needed anymore. The sheet that covers all the nations, for he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isn't that interesting? I just read six verses about our eternal hope. It didn't mention clouds, harps, or wings one time. Tom and Jerry might have lied to me. I don't know. All right, Isaiah 65, 17. Look at this one. Look, I'm going to create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They'll build houses and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. As the days of a tree will be the days of my people, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they build children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. You might want to read that again later. That's Isaiah chapter 65 starting in verse 17. I love that text. 
You tell me what you don't like about this life, Isaiah just told you that it's going to be fixed in the next life. Maybe what you don't like about this life is you work and you work and you toil. You strive and you try and all your efforts are then quickly destroyed. Isaiah says in that life, it will never happen that you plant a vineyard and don't get to eat the fruit. Oh my goodness. That's real good. Oh my. You ever do that thing where you buy a cantaloupe and you get home and it's just like terrible? Like you're not even sure it's just a waste of money. You try to decide, do I return it or not? I don't know. Yeah, that's not this one. Oh my goodness. Oh, holy mackerel. I'm sorry. Just can you like play a song real quick or something? That's really good. Mmm. See that thing where you buy a cantaloupe and it's no good? That's never going to happen in heaven. That thing where you work really hard on a project and it fails, that will never happen in heaven. That thing where you build a house and then you can't pay your mortgage and you lose the house and somebody else lives in your dream home. That's never going to happen in the life of That thing where enemies attack and war disrupts what peace built. And the life God has prepared for you that will never happen. That thing where love is lost because people are unfaithful will never happen. And that thing where death interrupts what love had built that will never happen in the life God has prepared for you. Jesus tries a couple times to help us picture what the life that is coming is like. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may also be. What does Jesus want us to know about the life that is to come? Well, he, he wants us to know that, that he will be there. That, that, that all other absences will be unknown because his presence will be so complete. He wants us to know it's a great big house with lots and lots of rooms. To quote audio adrenaline from the song back in the 90s there. And there's one for you. And you're welcome. And you belong there. You, you, what, what you see when you look at what Scripture teaches about the life that is to come. Have you heard this phrase, the afterlife? Have you ever heard somebody say, you, know, you, know, you, know, you say, what happens in the afterlife, we'll say. You know, what happens in, or what, where, would, where do people go in the afterlife? You read God's Word and you discover that afterlife is just a terrible name for the future that God has prepared for you. I mean, it's life. It's like the real life. It's the, it's the life. It's the full life. It would make so much more sense to call what we're experiencing now every day, call this the before life. 
Then to call that the afterlife, that's the, the life life from all of God, what God's word says. We, we get lots of pictures of this in the visions that John had that are recorded in the book of Revelation. Uh, we don't even have time to look at all of them. Here are a couple. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Apparently he'd been reading Isaiah 65. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I love that. It's not I'm making all things new. It's I'm, I mean, I'm, not, making, I'm, I'm not making all new things. I'm making all the things that are here brand new. I'm going to fix what's already here, repair what has been broken, restore what is lost to the way it was always intended to be. He says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, and Revelation throughout the book keeps using this wonderful word victorious, and it defines it. To be victorious, according to the book of Revelation, is to steadfastly trust in Jesus Christ. There's no battle you have to win on your own. You just have to trust in the one who wins the battle. And it says, those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. Revelation, later in that chapter, we'll skip a little bit. You could go read more on your own. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day ever will its gates be shut. Why would you need to shut the gates? For there is no enemy to assault you, and there is no night to be afraid of. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I love the reminder that there's no temple, for we talk about heaven as this place of eternal worship, and I'll just tell you, teenage me was not excited about the no, I remember hearing a preacher one time, he says, going to heaven is going to be like going to church and never leaving. And I was about 15 years old, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the other place. Like, I'm pretty sure that is the other option. Like, that is definitely not. And, but, but, but the thing is, but, well, it will be eternal worship, but, but not because you're stuck at church all day, but because God is everywhere, and Christ is with us in every moment, and every breath, and every laughter, and every tear, and every vineyard you plant, and every fruit that you eat will be itself worship. 
The next chapter of Revelation goes on. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding different fruit every month. I'd love a tree like that. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They'll see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. And we could keep reading and nowhere in the Bible would it talk about when we all line up to get our harps. It wouldn't talk about floating on clouds. Wouldn't talk about receiving your wings. Wouldn't talk about hoping you can get through a giant golden gate. It would talk about life. And it would talk about mountains and rivers and cities and fields and houses and vineyards and families. And every minute is worship, not because we're lined up in pews and stuck here for hours, but because God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, are with us and He is our God and we, is our, we are His children. And all we can do is rejoice and there is no more curse of death and no more pain in this life and no more separation from God and you never buy a bad cantaloupe and you never get your dream job and it turns out to be awful and you never invest in loving someone who rejects you in return and you never put your hopes in hopes of peace and instead are met with war. You see, here's the thing. This life in this fallen world, it turns out this isn't the life you were made for. The life you were made for is the real life that is yet to come. The real life after God has renewed you, because you're not ready for it until God has renewed you, and renewed life itself, renewed creation itself. This is why God's word keeps saying, a new heaven and a new earth and a new you for eternity. And this life, the real life that is yet to come, it all Get started with a feast. That's what Godford says. The whole thing gets started with a feast, a wedding feast. For when the bridegroom returns from having conquered death, who is Jesus Christ, and the bride is ready, that is Christ church. Revelation 19 says this Then I heard. What sounded at first like a great multitude? Or was it the roar of rushing waters? Or it could have been loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And just so you're not confused, John tells us the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, you write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited 
to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you are invited. Oh my goodness. It's so good. Oh my goodness. Just one second. Mm. We're going to need that. You see, the life that God wants for you, it starts with a feast. I mean, that's just the way it starts. Because how else do you celebrate a wedding but with a feast? Let's get a little stack here in a second. Somebody else can eat the peppery ones. I'm not a big fan of those. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm. That's good. We'll save that for later. Mm. Yeah. You see, the way we start eternity is with a worship feast. Because the bride is ready and the groom is returned. And this exact feast is what Jesus says he was waiting to eat with you we read the text last week Matthew 26 while they were eating the Passover Jesus took bread and when he given thanks he broke it he gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body and then he took the cup and when he giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day. Until, until what day? Until the day when all has been set right, when all that is wrong has been renewed and all that is broken has been restored. Until the trumpet sound and the thunder rolls and the rushing water announces hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns and the wedding supper of the Lamb can begin and I'm not going to take one bite of this meal until I eat it with you in my Father's kingdom. And so now, every time we share in communion, we're sharing in a wedding reception rehearsal of sorts. Which is, as everyone knows, the best part of preparing for a wedding. You know this, right? Those of you that have had a wedding, you know what I'm talking about already. Those of you who haven't, let me clue you in on a few things. Most of the parts of getting ready for a wedding are awful, quite frankly. Um, you've got to choose a venue and fill out invitations. You have, to, you have to have an opinion about which flowers will look better. Up till the time of my marriage, I had never had an opinion on flowers in my life. And all of a sudden, do you like this flower or this flower better? I had no idea there was a right answer. I got it wrong every time. You know, you have to have opinions about clothes. You go to things where you try on clothes in front of people and they tell you they don't look good on you. I was like, yes, I knew that. I don't think the problem is the jacket, though. I think it's, you know, other problems. But, but this is what you do getting ready for a wedding. And every part of it is horrible, except for the wedding reception rehearsal. When, if you're lucky, you'll meet with a caterer and they'll have prepared samples 
of all their different foods for you to decide which ones to order. And you have to try all of them, and so you'll start like with the stuffed mushrooms, right? And you'll like nibble one little bite, and you're like, ah, no, no, that's not it. And then you'll move over to like the bacon-wrapped tenderloin, and you'll be like, hmm, hmm. I'm going to need like six more of these just to be sure. I can't tell if I like it or not, so maybe like another dozen, and then I'll know. And you just eat your way through all the best foods that they make. And you know at the end you're going to say, yeah, sorry, we can't afford any of it. We're out of here. But thank you for the free samples, right? And like maybe some fruit just to, you know, balance your diet out. But this is it, right? Like, everything else you do to get ready for a wedding, I could leave without. But don't skip that. The wedding reception rehearsal. Best part. And this. This is what communion is. It's, it's like the first bite of, of, of this glorious feast. It's like the first course of this amazing meal. It, it's the first taste of the eternity that God has planned for you. It's the, the first notion of the real life for which you were meant, of which this is just the before life, the, the preview life. Excuse me, <laughs> I ate a little bit too much there. The preview life. It's worth it, trust me. We talked last week about how in communion, we remember that we are a saved people. In communion, we remember what God has done. Communion, we even say, is a meal of remembrance. But communion is also a meal of promise. It's a meal of hope. It's a meal that reminds us to hope for the great worship feast that will one day usher us into the eternal life for which we have always been meant and for which we have been redeemed by Christ's blood. We're going to share in this meal in just a moment. If you're going to be one of our servers, you could head to the back now. That'd be great. We appreciate your help. Trays will be passed. Uh, there'll be bread and juice on these trays. It's a super simple meal. Everyone who is a follower of Christ is invited to share in this meal. You don't have to be a member of this church. We don't have to agree on every little thing. If you're a follower of Christ, this is Christ's table, and he welcomes you to this meal. As we share in the meal, I hope you will remember that this meal is only possible because of Christ's broken body and Christ's shed blood. Remember his sacrifice on the cross. Remember his resurrection from the dead that makes our salvation possible. But mixed in with your remembering, would you take a minute and let yourself really hope for a second? Just really give in to hope for just a minute? Taste the bread and the juice and recognize that this is the first course of a feast that is yet to come. A real feast, an eternal feast, the likes of which we've never seen, the likes of which this is a pale imitation. You see, we deeply grieve 
those that we have lost to this life. And in every season, there's always plenty of grief to go around. Plenty of us are grieving fresh loss even this week. But the people we have lost to this life, we haven't lost them to life. For for the real life is ahead of us. The, The real love is ahead of us. Our real home is ahead of us. Our real vineyards, real fruit, even the best cantaloupes are yet to come. For as good as this life gets, it's the pale reflection of the hope that is to come. And it's not harps. And it's not clouds. It's mountains and rivers and fields, and streams, and farms, and cities, and families, and God who is with you, and Christ who is ever-present. This is the hope for which God wants to save you. This is the yes that God wants you to save. Yes, God, redeem me, renew me, heal me for a world like that, and communion This simple, simple meal is the first bite of the feast for which you were made and God longs to remake you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the mercy of Jesus Christ through whom we can truly have hope. God, we thank you for the sacrifice he made by which we are saved and forgiven. And we do in this meal remember that salvation. But God, we also thank you for hope. And may this meal be a meal of hope. May you call to mind in our hearts the future, the life that is really life, that you have prepared for all those who turn and call in the name of Jesus Christ. And may in this moment we have the first taste of that great feast that is to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.